the book of Genesis. And I'd like you to turn to chapter 37, but I'd also like you to turn to chapter 50, if you would. Chapter 37 and chapter 50. We're going to do a, a short six-week series looking at the life of Joseph. It's not going to be a verse-by-verse study, but it's going to be an in-depth study of the life of Joseph. And Joseph's life covers from Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. And Joseph is one of those Bible characters that I continually go back to and read and study because I think there's just so much there in his life that can be uh, an encouragement uh, in our lives. Because one of the things that we learn from, from Joseph's story is this. Joseph's story reveals that though we cannot control circumstances, we can control how we respond to those circumstances. And that's something that God, I think, is, is going to want to, to remind all of us through this study of, of Joseph. Because we all have circumstances like Joseph that come into our life that we had no control over. And we can't control those things. But we can control how we respond to those circumstances. How we react to those circumstances. Before we get into chapter 37, which again begins the life of Joseph and introduces us to Joseph... I wanted to go to chapter 50 and verse 20 because if there's, if there's a verse out of all these chapters at the end of Genesis that sort of sums up, if you will, uh, the life of Joseph and, and I think a, a perspective that God would want us to carry, it's what Joseph says to his brothers at the very end of the story in chapter 50 verse 20. And I, I want to read this and then just make a few comments and then we'll get into the study. Joseph says to his brothers, as for you, you meant to harm me. The words mean you you devised a plan to hurt me, to injure me. And and we we may have felt like that in our lives. That there have been people in our lives that literally, they, they didn't just hurt us by accident. They didn't just injure us, you know... Uh, because it just happened that way, that they literally did something trying to hurt us, trying to cause us pain, trying to injure us in some way. And so Joseph is saying this to his very brothers. But here's what Joseph's perspective is. But God, God intended it for a good purpose. Now, a couple things that Joseph is saying there. When he says, but God, he's reminding all of us that God is the ruler, the supreme of the universe. And therefore, we as followers of God and those who believe in God must come to this this conclusion that Joseph did. That no matter what a human being does to us, even if they intend and plan to hurt us and harm us, that should never define us or our life because man does not rule. God rules. And therefore, whatever men do to us, God 
can and will overrule what men do. You see. And therefore, what they do to us isn't the final conclusion of it all. And that's where, if we take anything away from the life of Joseph, Joseph is teaching us, so even when we're hurt, even when we're hurting, remain faithful to God and let God take care of it and use it in our lives and in the life of others. What happens many times with Christians is we circumvent what God could do because when we are hurting or we are hurt, we don't remain faithful. We become unfaithful. And, and the only thing, as I shared on Sunday, that's going to thwart God's plan and purpose and dreams for our lives is our unfaithfulness, not our circumstances. Our circumstances will never thwart the plan and purpose and dreams that God has for us. The only thing that can deter that is our own unfaithfulness. And that's why God is saying, trust me, I'm God, I'm the ruler. I can overrule what people do to you and how they injure you and cause you pain and, and seek to harm you. In fact, notice Joseph says, God intended it, which means God had a plan. They, they might have had a plan to hurt me, to harm me, to inflict injury on me, but God had a plan. And God's plan, he says, was for a good purpose. And I love this. In the Hebrew, it literally means for a beautiful purpose. In other words, what, what Joseph is saying here and testifying to is this. No matter what ugliness others do to us that are as out of our control, God can make something beautiful out of that and bring something beautiful out of it. And then as you study this, it goes beyond the idea of beautiful. It then speaks of being profitable, beneficial, and advantageous. So Joseph is saying, I testify to this. You meant to hurt me. You meant to harm me. You meant to cause me pain and injury in my life. But I remain faithful to God, the ruler of the universe. I trusted Him. And I knew that God could bring something beautiful out of something so ugly in my life. And I knew that God could bring profit and benefit and advantage to me. And then through me, he could bless others as well. Which is exactly then how Joseph ends verse 20 when he says, God intended it for a good purpose so he could preserve the lives of many people. See, God had this plan all along that in spite of what Joseph's brothers did, God was going to use everything along the way to get Joseph to that place in Egypt where he would literally be in control of how things were going to be uh, managed and administrated during the famine. And that not only would Joseph's wisdom that he gained through God help the Egyptians to, to live through the famine, but God then was going to bring his own people down, as he did with Jacob and his family, to Egypt to also get grain and bread and be able to survive the famine too. And God had this all, you see, in his plan. 
And it was a much bigger and greater plan and dream than what Joseph's brothers had planned for him. So I hope that you will be encouraged as we go through this study of Joseph. Because there's not a one of us that don't live, obviously, and have to deal with circumstances that are out of our control. And God is very clearly saying to us, I know, child, that you have to live with things that you didn't cause, that you didn't see coming, that that were out of your control. But I'm asking you as my child to trust me as God, as the ruler of this universe. And believe in me that what others do to us is not the last word. It is not what should define us. The only one that should ever define us in our lives is God himself. And God is saying to us through this study, then trust me to bring something beautiful even out of those ugly things that happen to you in your life. And trust me to to bring profit and advantage and benefit out of the things that others do to harm us. Again, not only for our own benefit, but then God will use it so that He can then work through us to bless and benefit others as well. This, chapter 50, verse 20, is the great sort of summation of the life of Joseph. Well, with that, let's just close our Bibles. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) I got a lot more. Genesis chapter 37. Let's get back then to the beginning of this whole story as we are introduced to Joseph. And before that, though, something very important here in chapter 37, verse 1. We're given a little background here and a little geographical Uh, information. And that is that Jacob lived, Joseph's father, in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. There's nothing necessarily wrong with staying in Canaan. That's part of the promised land that God wanted to give his children. But here's where the problem lies. The way they stayed in Canaan, they they got comfortable in a bad way. The, The word stayed literally means to be at ease. And they became uncomfortable, or they became comfortable, but in an unhealthy way in Canaan. Again, not so much for where they were as far as the place, but for how they were allowing the inhabitants in the land of Canaan to influence them. See, something very interesting. Many people wonder, why did God allow His people to be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years? So that eventually He called upon Moses to deliver the people. Here's why. God wanted His people to be in Canaan. The problem was the people of God, while they were in Canaan, were being more influenced by the Canaanites than the people of God were influencing the people of Canaan. And so the people of God, instead of turning the Canaanites to God, the Canaanites were turning the people of God's hearts away from God. And they were ending up in idolatry and all kinds of crazy things. 
And so here's a good principle and lesson for us. The Bible teaches us that God doesn't take us out of the world. In fact, Jesus says, I want to send my people into the world, but I don't want them to be of the world. I don't want them to be like the world. I want them to be distinct so that people can see the difference that I make in their life. Too often what happens and what we have to be aware of as Christians is the world that we are sent to influence and impact by being different, many times the world ends up influencing Christians more than Christians in the church influence the world. And I believe really that we are even in that situation today with the church in general. Why is the church of Jesus Christ not impacting and influencing the world like we could or should? Because I believe that too long Christians have been more influenced by the world and adopting a worldly philosophy and a worldly way of looking at things and a worldly way of living rather than the other way around. And that's exactly what happened a couple thousand years ago to the people of God in Genesis in Joseph's day. They were in the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites were influencing them more than they were influencing the Canaanites. Wherever God places us, wherever it is, God wants us to be a light. He wants to shine through us. And He wants our lives to make a difference and to be influential in other people's lives. He doesn't want to take us out of the world and isolate us. He wants us, through Him, to be strong enough to be able to go into the world and be in the world, but not of the world. And that's why we need to set our lives as Christians on a course of discipleship that I've been blogging about all year. Because it's only as we follow Jesus every day and allow Him to build up that spiritual inner strength within us, are we going to be strong enough to be out there in this world today and be able to remain distinct and have influence instead of allowing the world to influence us? And, and the Canaanites were more than, they, they more than wanted to mingle with the people of God. They didn't want to be separate. And so here's why God gathered his people and actually sent them into slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Unlike the Canaanites, who, who wanted to socialize and fellowship and in, intermingle and intermarry with the, with the Israelites, the Egyptians wanted nothing to do with the Israelites. So while they were there for 400 years, they lived totally separate lives from their Egyptian, the, the, the ones that were holding them in slavery. See, for the Egyptians, it was like, ooh, you are beneath us. We don't want anything to do with you. We want to use you as slaves. But we don't want to mix with you in any way, you see. We don't want to be a part of your lives. We don't want you to be a part of our lives. So God, for 400 years, in a sense, was wanting to purify his own people and get them back to a place where they started to rediscover their own identity of who they were to be in him and not allow 
any other culture to influence them like the Canaanites did. I know that seems like a history lesson, but it's important in understanding the context of both the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus, for that matter. Because even Christians today are like, wow, 400 years as slaves in Egypt, why? It was because if they would have influenced the people in Canaan, that would have never happened. God needed to purify his people. And he did that by taking them out of Canaan into Egypt for 400 years. Verse 2. We're going to get really far tonight, aren't we? No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) This is the account of Jacob. Joseph was obviously one of Jacob's many sons. And the Bible says, at this point, he was his 17-year-old son. And he was taking care of the flocks with his brothers. And he had many of them. And he was a youngster working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. couple things here. First of all, let me start with his age. He was an adolescent. And this reminds us that God, it doesn't matter what our age is. In fact, God wants to capture people's hearts as young as possible. That's why, you know, we want to have a great children's ministry and youth ministry and why we want to build into children because, as someone said a long time ago, it's easier to build a boy than it is to mend a man. Now think about that for a minute. You'll you'll get there. But that's, that's really true, you know. And, and, and I've even come to a place in my life where, you know, a lot of times, by the time we get adults, and I love the fact that, you know, we can have adults, 40s, 50s, 60s, even older, who finally, you know, come to the Lord and, and begin to, to learn the Bible and, and, and be taught the Word of God and everything. But, but what I find, and, and it's a very tragic thing, is that you can never make up for all those years. It, it's, it's just hard to do so. And so that's why we want to try to capture people as young as possible. And, and something else then, this is reminding of spiritual maturity has nothing to do with physical age, which is why Paul told Timothy, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're a young man and you're pastoring a church. I'm working through you and I've called you to this. And so we need to make sure that we don't equate spiritual maturity with physical age. Sometimes people very young in age can be very spiritually mature, and sometimes people who are much older, not so much. It all has to do with our own hearts and where we are with God. And certainly God wanted to work and was going to work even through this young man. The other thing we see is this, and I think a lot of us can relate to this. You know, some of us talk about, oh man, you know, I I grew up or I came out of a very dysfunctional family. Let's just set the record straight right here tonight, can we? We all came out of a dysfunctional family. I don't care what 
kind of family and situation you and I grew up in, there was some kind of dysfunction there. And that's certainly true with Joseph. We are reminded here that Jacob had sons in this family by two different wives, and we're not, it's not mentioned here, but also by two other concubines. So he has 12 sons by four different women. Can you say trouble? Absolutely. And none of that was like God's will or God's best for Jacob. He made a lot of mistakes. And he actually, by being disobedient to God, created hardship on his own family. But here's what I want us to get tonight. What the life of Joseph teaches us and reminds us is this. No matter what dysfunctional family you and I grew up in or came out of, and no matter what we dealt with family-wise... God's dreams, plans, and purposes for us could not be thwarted by our family situation. Only by our unwillingness to be faithful. Joseph grew up in a... It was, it was a mess. And some Christians today, they grow up in family situations and they almost think like, because I grew up in such a, a family that was such a mess... God, He has no dreams for me. He has no plans for me. He has no purpose for me. I'll never be able to do anything great for God. Wrong life of Joseph. Joseph's life should be this shining beacon continuously to all of us that no matter what kind of family situation we grew up in or were part of, no matter what it was like, God can overcome that. If we'll just trust Him and believe in Him. So the Bible says and reminds us that though Joseph was someone whom God had His eye on, just like any other human being, he was far from perfect. And because he was so young, there was still a lot of rough edges that God in the years to come was going to be smoothing out. And that's part of why God's plan for Joseph was to take him through the circumstances he did, again, not to harm him, but to mature him and grow him and strengthen him. And we begin to see that Joseph was far from perfect in verse 2, where the Bible says Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. And many people think, well, Joseph was just being a good boy, right? His brothers were probably doing something they shouldn't be doing, and so he just went back and made sure his father knew. But if you study the Hebrew here, I think it's pretty clear that what Joseph was doing was basically just being a tattler, a gossip. I'm, I'm not saying that Joseph's brothers were, you know, this great group of guys. We're, we know that's not true. We're going to see that in a minute. But what I am saying is that you can almost see again that, that even at that point, 
there's, there's rivalry and there's tension and there's all kinds of things taking place between Joseph and his brothers. You know, maybe he thinks, you know, I'm better than they are. And, and, and maybe 90% of the, he is. But the idea is he's sort of going back and, and whispering and, 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 and sharing something that he probably wouldn't have had to do. And we're going to see this come up again here in just a moment. But then we come to verse 3. Oh, parents, 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 we as parents, and we need to get this tonight from this story as well. Because here now we're going to be reminded that parents, no matter how well-meaning we, we may think we are, that sometimes in thinking we're doing something out of love and because we're doing this because, you know, this is how I feel about my child, that many times we're not doing them any favors at all. In fact, sometimes by our choices as parents, we're actually adding to the hardship of their life. And that was true with Jacob. He was far from being a good father. Because he violated one of, the, one of the principles of parentship that no parent should ever violate. And that is, he showed favoritism. Notice the Bible says, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons. And can I say, even if Jacob had deluded himself into thinking, this is just between me and Joseph, none of my other sons are going to know. Oh yeah, they do. They, they, they would know. We might think that somehow, you know, we're, we're going to arrange this to where, you know, no one else is going to find out. People know. People find out. His whole family would have known. And Jacob even makes it very evident here in a minute. And again, the Bible says, well... He did these things because he loved Joseph more than all his other sons. The problem was, by showing favoritism to Joseph, what did he do? He actually set Joseph up for a harder life. Because he actually stirred the fires of envy and jealousy with his own brothers. And brought hardship on Joseph by his bad choice as a parent. Parents, we need to beware that the choices and decisions we make as parents, even though we might say, well, I'm doing this because I love them, actually might be harming them more than it really is helping them. And that was true of Jacob. And then the Bible goes on to tell us a little bit of the reasoning in Jacob's heart. Because he was a son born to him late in life, and therefore he made a special tunic him. And we all know this from our days in Sunday school. Joseph and the coat of many colors. This was a robe. This was a garment that would have been a long-sleeved garment that went all the way down to the ground. It was a garment of distinction. Actually, for me, it's not so much, ooh, it was a coat of many colors, as much as what this coat that Jacob gave to Joseph represented. And that is this. 
And I, I hope that you'll, you'll get this too, that where I'm trying to go with this. This coat was not a working man's coat. As we would say today, this would be a coat or a garment or a robe written by, I'll say it here in a minute, worn by a white collar person. Not a blue collar person. And what we see in the story here, even back in, you know, way back in Genesis with the agrarian society even, that Joseph's brothers were clearly blue collar workers. And by giving Joseph this robe, it's like, Joseph, you're too good for that. You know. And so right there, you can even start to see the wedge that Jacob was driving between his sons. Not only was it a coat of many colors, it was a, it was a garment of distinction that, that spoke to everybody that saw it. And it was more than just, oh, it's a pretty coat. It was what the coat represented. This wasn't a working man's robe. This this was a robe of, you know, of some kind of position, if you will. So the Bible says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated Joseph. They literally viewed Joseph as their enemy. Their own brother. And we're not able to speak to him kindly. Literally, they, they could not be friends with Joseph. They couldn't speak to him in a nice or friendly manner. It was constant antagonism and tension. And it was, the family was a mess. Now think about this. This is the, this is the home environment that Joseph is growing up in. Four different wives, 12 different children. He's being showed as the favorite of the family. His brothers all hate him. And this is the home environment that Joseph is brewing in. And yet, God has a plan. And God's plan and purpose and dreams for Joseph will not be thwarted by this home environment. In fact, Joseph is going to show us again that no matter what our background, no matter what maybe disadvantages we thought we've had and what handicaps or whatever we think we've been dealt, what bad cards we've been dealt through our life, what kind of home, God can overcome all of that if we'll just trust Him and remain faithful to Him. God will overcome bad parenting. God will overcome hatred of our own family members. You name it. God can overcome it all. And we can overcome it all through Christ. This is the story of Joseph. In verse 5, the Bible tells us Joseph has a dream. And in these days... God would use dreams to reveal His plans and purposes to His people. God used dreams throughout the Bible. 
God every once in a while uses dreams today, though I believe it is my conviction that primarily the way God speaks to his people today is through his word. But back then, because obviously the Bible wasn't available yet, God used a dream to reveal his plan and purpose to Joseph. Now here's something really cool. Joseph gets excited about God's plan for his life. As young as he is, Joseph gets excited and he wants to share it with somebody. Well, the only people he's got around are his family and his brothers who can't stand him. So he's in a tough spot. I commend Joseph that when God revealed what he had planned for Joseph, Joseph was enthusiastic about it. And I think it reminds us that when God speaks to us and begins to reveal things to us and show us things, hopefully we get as excited about it as Joseph did. And hopefully even as God shares with us things out of his word and illuminates our minds and reveals things to us, hopefully we'll be as excited as Joseph to share it with others because that's what God hopes for his children. That we'll get as excited about his will and his plan and purposes for our life as he is. And that was certainly true of Joseph. But the Bible says this. Joseph had a dream. And it says, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. My own take on this, I think again, this is showing a little bit of the immaturity, rough edges that need to be smoothed over, wisdom that only comes by experience and all of that in life that Joseph needed to learn. He was a great young man. And God had his eye on him from the time he was young. And God was going to use him greatly. But again, Joseph was far from perfect. And in my humble opinion, as much as he was excited about sharing his dream with his brothers, did he not think that that was just going to stir the pot and make things even worse? Maybe there was even a little bit, I don't care, I'm going to rub it in their face. You know, I don't know. But it, it shows to me how Joseph needs to grow a little bit. Because looking at this situation, if someone was to ask me my counsel and advice, and they were in this situation, and say Joseph was 17 years of age and said, Jeff, God has revealed something great to me. I, I want to share it with my brothers, but they all hate me. They're already very envious and jealous of me. Should I tell them? I'd say, no, I don't think you should. What, what good's going to come out of that? And I think, again, so what we're learning here is how God wants to grow us and give us wisdom. There's times where we need to speak up and share things and say things to others. There's other times where there's more wisdom in just keeping our mouth shut. And Joseph only made things worse for himself by not keeping his mouth shut and keeping the dream to himself. You know, he says to them in verse 5, listen. In other words, I want you to get as excited about God's dream for me as I am. And 
God is. Really? Do you really think they're going to get excited? They hate your guts. They don't even want to talk to you. They don't even probably want to see you. They're not going to be on board with what God wants to do in your life. Now, I will say this. This is a good, again, lesson for us. We have to realize as Christians, sometimes other Christians even, and brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe even people in our own family, aren't going to get as excited about our allegiance and devotion and heart for God as we have. That's sometimes why family time together can be so interesting. Because we all get together as a family and you may, you know, you may say go somewhere where your family have a reunion or maybe over the holidays or something. And, you know, you've just been going through the word and you're growing and, and you're just so excited about what God's doing in your life. And so you show up and there's all the rest of your family. And unfortunately, you know, maybe they're not in the spiritual environment that you're in or they're not in the same place spiritually that you're in. And, and you and, and again, you're just enthusiastic. You're just letting it flow. You're like, oh, let me tell you about what God's doing in my life. And they're all just sitting there going, really? I don't care. And then you and I sort of, we get hurt. And we're like, what do you mean you don't care? Aren't you glad for... No, they're not. And sometimes as Christians, even we have a hard time when our family members or our friends or our brothers and sisters in Christ aren't as excited about what we're as excited about. All I can tell you is, get used to it. It's a fact of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's something that you and I are going to have to be willing to rise above. We might not have, at times, anybody else who's as excited about what God has us on, the journey that He has us on, as us. There might not be anybody else. But we've got to follow Christ and trust Him and, and look to Him and keep being faithful, even if we don't have all this, you know, all these other people just sort of, you know, applauding and cheering for us along the way. It's great when we have that. And as I think I've, you know, I can't remember if I've already wrote that blog and it's out or whatever, but, you know, it's great when we find brothers and sisters in Christ that we can share life with and that we can be excited about the same things at the same time cherish those moments and cherish those people because they're not always going to be in our lives because there will be times in our life just like with Paul where he said I went through this and nobody stood with me except you God I was all alone and there was times in Joseph's life where he was all alone doing the will of God without any support and that's where you really see how strong people really are in the Lord. Because, man, if, we're, if, if, if we don't have spiritual strength and we don't have all that support around us, then very few are able to remain steadfast and faithful when it's just us and God. Again, it's great when we can have the support, but sometimes we won't have the support. And don't get disillusioned the next time that something great happens to you spiritually and you share it with somebody and they don't get as excited about it as you do. 
say, okay, Pastor Jeff told me this day was coming. <laughs> Hang in there. And remember, God is going to help me to overcome this. And I just need to keep being faithful and, and moving on. Instead of getting further into it, I'm going to stop there. And we'll pick it up in verse 7. We got really far, didn't we? Uh, I'll pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 37 next week. Before I pray and, and share a couple of announcements, let me say this again. The story of Joseph's life teaches us that though we cannot control our cir the circumstances at times in our life, we can always control how we respond to those circumstances. May God use our study of the life of Joseph to strengthen us and encourage us to respond in a Christ-like way, even when the circumstances are unfavorable and painful, and sometimes even hurtful. Trust that God can and will overrule and bring something beautiful, even out of those ugly experiences we've all had in our lives, if we will just remain faithful and trust Him. God, in these weeks that we have together on Wednesday night, I pray that you would use the story of Joseph to inspire us, to motivate us, to challenge us, to revive us, to refresh us, as only you, God, can do. How you take your powerful word and work and operate in our lives and bring wonderful fruit from it. God, help us to look to You. Help us to trust You. Help us to continue to have confidence in You and in Your Word and in Your plan for our lives. And remind us, God, no matter what background or family situation we came from or no matter what others have done to us as they sought to harm us and hurt us, and causes pain in some way, God, remind us that You are a God that can overcome and overrule all of that. And You can bring beauty, beauty out of ugliness. And You can bring something very profitable, beneficial, and advantageous to us out of all that pain. Just help us, God, to trust You and to remain faithful to You as we navigate this life. Thank you, God, for the wonderful turnout tonight. Continue to strengthen us, God, not only individually, but corporately as a body of believers. God, we want this Oasis Church to make a difference and to shine your light in this community. And we believe, God, that, that you've not only used us, but that you want to use us in even greater ways in the coming days. And so God, help us as a people to remain faithful to you 
so that you can use us, Lord, before you come back to make an unbelievable difference in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next Wednesday.